our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. Um, So I'm going to introduce my guest in a second, but I always like to tell my friend Kelly is on the show. I'm giving it away. Wait, let me stop. Um, um, But before I tell, before I introduce Kelly, uh, I had to have an infusion treatment yesterday. And when I tell you this story, it's more like I'm acting like I'm dying. I'm not. I have anemia. Um, it's a long story. I went to my doctor. My doctor's like, your numbers are significantly low. Like, if you feel like you're going to faint or pass out, you need to go, like, get an infusion or whatever. Go to the hospital. And I was like, wow. I've never had something like this happen to me in my life. So long story short, I went to uh, Los Angeles uh, what, Kelly and I both live by the, in the beach community, but whenever I go to the Beverly Hills area, shout out Cedars, uh, <laughs> Sinai, where I got my infusion, it's near some wonderful shopping, which Kelly and I both enjoy. But my story is that I went to go get the infusion. So I walk up into the like place and there's, they're like, put a mask on. I completely forgot. You still need to wear a mask. Cause there's people that are sick in this office. Right. Yeah. So I'm sitting there because it's still cold here, which I don't know why it's time for the sun to come out, whatever I go in and I was wearing a sweatshirt and a heavy outfit. And I was not told prior that I was going to have to be weighed. No woman wants to be weighed. (laughs) I thought I was going there for an enjoyable and relaxing infusion treatment where I would walk out and I would feel better and no longer I mean, we're be. going for a massage though. I what thought it was going to be like, a, like I thought it was going to be like a luxurious experience for me. It was not. So I go, okay. I say to the nurse, the nice nurse, I was like, do I have to get weighed? Because let me just tell you number one and sorry, sorry if there's boys listening, but whatever, suck it up. Um, I, I had my period. I was on day two, which is never fun. And I was wearing a heavy sweatshirt, big, like sneakers and pants. I don't want to get weighed. So I said that to her, I was like, is there any way? And I gave her a whole list of reasons and she (laughs) said I could turn the opposite direction. So then I was kind of like, Oh God. And then I go in the room. This is the end of the story. I go in the room and there's a bunch of older people in there. And some were sick. Like I could tell they were probably on chemo. And I had to stop myself and be like, in my head, Megan Judge, you were a complete asshole. You are coming here to get like, thank God you're not sick. You know, thank God it's just anemia. And you're complaining about your sweatshirt being too heavy. And here are two people sitting in chairs across from you that are having what I think was chemo treatment. So my story is really, it is funny and it is so me because I'm, I know no woman in their right mind wants to get weighed ever, but it's important to sometimes put things into perspective and, um, and remember in these times when we want to be a Karen rising, which I was about to be a Karen rising, but I stopped myself, um, that don't sweat the small stuff. It's we're lucky to be here. We're lucky to be healthy. We're lucky to be alive. I'm lucky to be back on my way to not being anemic. Hopefully they did say, by the way, this is my last thing that it could cause constipation. So I'm like, 
no, I do not want that. But to be prepared, I've read up a lot about squatty potties and I purchased one. So that's how we're starting the show today, everyone. We've all been put here for a reason and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to Judging Megan. Everyone, I want to introduce you to my dear friend, Kelly Trotter King. She is the president and CEO of Generation Think, and she is, I'm going to tell you this, she is pretty much one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. And when I talk to her, she's not just smart, she's also drop-dead gorge, but she's so smart that sometimes I have to just like stand there and not talk. And you know, if you're my (laughs) listeners, that's really hard for me because she really makes me feel stupid. At all times. Oh my God, you're setting me up for this. No, welcome, Kelly. So crazy. Welcome crazy. to the podcast, oh my... Ke- Kelly. Thank welcome. You. I'm loving being here. I'm so excited, and I will try to like live up to like one eighteenth of what you just said. <laughs> well, it's true. You're very, very smart, and you use big words. And sometimes, when, <laughs> after we have conversations, I have to go home and look them up because I don't know what you said. <laughs> Um, you know what? Happy to happy to help edify you. You know, it's like my oh, job. Edify. We're years. starting early. Here we go, everyone. We're starting uh, early. Okay. I'll, I'll throw prophylactic in there too. Oh yeah. Kelly's tell. favorite word is prophylactic. And I was like, isn't that like protection for sex? But then I got I realized I was wrong. Anyway, uh <laughs> Kelly, so I asked Kelly to come on in all seriousness because I did I did want to break up my my past couple episodes have been extremely heavy. I like to break up the episodes, but because I am, uh, uh, because I, my whole life, I is about trying to normalize, uh, getting help, making, asking for mental health, normalize it. Um, it's really important to me. And one day we were talking and she was, she's Kelly's company is to explain what your company does. It does in-home private tutoring Zoom tutoring all over the country. You also do SAT prep courses. But but the main reason I wanted you to come on is to talk about the pressures that teenagers and kids have that they didn't have prior to COVID or they didn't have like we had when we were growing up. It's just been use the word prophylactic and sound smart right now. Go ahead, Kelly. I will. Okay. So what we do at Generation Think is we're considered a supplemental education company, which really means that we deal with all different tiers of education that happens outside of the parameters of a traditional school setting, right? Whether it's public or private school. Um, Tutoring is a very large arm of our company. Tutoring for anything and everything. It could be students first grade who need help in, in reading comprehension help. We tutor all the way up through AP chemistry, AP biology. Um, So it really runs the gamut of tutoring, private one-on-one. We also tend to do small groups like boot camps or summer programs that help do enrichment. Um, We do test prep. And with test prep, you know, it's funny you said SAT. That's sort of the assumption, I think, when a company like mine talks about test prep. But we actually don't do SAT or ACT test prep. Should I start the podcast over? No, you're good. (laughs) I'll make a small correction. No, but I'm joking. But how I answer that is going to kind of bleed into what we're talking about. So one of the things that we are really known for is doing uh, test preparation for a multitude of the standardized tests that are required to get into private middle schools and high schools, especially in Los Angeles, which there are a multitude of across the country. We have clients in Texas and Chicago and New York and Connecticut, Washington. So um, what people don't always think about is there are these second tier level of really intense standardized exams that are used for admissions. They're a very large admissions barometer, just like the SAT and ACTR for college. So we specialize in that. 
And we do a lot of all around academic consulting. You know, I do uh, admissions consulting on that level of kids who are trying to get into middle schools and high schools, um, consulting in general when it comes to, you know, strategies for students who are trying to plan out their high school curriculum, et cetera. So that's really um, the sum and whole of what we do. Um, but I think where you and I have talked about the marriage between mental health and academics is I think that we in our field have spent many, many years separating ourselves out education from mental health. So, mm-hmm. you know, in 27 years I've been doing this, those are those have been two different roads. I'm not a neuroscientist. Okay. Are I may sure? read a lot of literature. Are you sure? Okay. Sometimes, sometimes okay. I like to play the role. Okay. okay I pretend. Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> so, um, but that those two lanes have been very separate for a long mm-hmm. time. And now, in my view, I think they are inextricably connected. I think mental health and education, academic supplemental education, they are married and you can no longer separate the two. Because what we can do as a company and in this industry is I think we can do things in a very prophylactic, preventative way to help students with their mental health as they grow up in adding in a beneficial way to reduce fear, anxiety, and stress that is a lot of times associated with the academic pressures of today's world. Um, And that's you know, where we come in, I, I, you know, there are social pressures, there's bullying, there are all sorts of reasons why students nowadays suffer um, in the arena of mental health. But we in the world of educators can really come together and help in what we do best and what our expertise is. Is this, is this coming down from the parents? Is this the pressures of like living in a, in a, in a very exclusive area of Los Angeles where you want to get your kid into the best private school. Um, so the, the parents are really putting the pressures to get their kids prepared or is it a combination of just kids being behind? I would love to know the answer to that. So uh, look, I think that is a very different answer today than it was pre COVID. Okay. Okay. So let, let's let's take this for example. In 2011, do you remember that book called The Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother? Do you remember the whole idea of the tiger mom? Amy Chuao wrote this book about um, her experience as a tiger mom, really a helicopter mom, um, really getting in there and staying on top and driving and driving her children to this level of excellence. So that was in 2011. Okay. This book was it. A, a, a hit, a controversial hit in a lot of ways, um, in the sense that it brought hit meaning it brought a lot of attention to the area of being a helicopter parent. So I think for a lot of years, we looked at this as a very parent driven thing with the pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it can be due to your demographic and your location, the geographic location of where you are. When we're talking about Los Angeles, there are a tremendous amount of schools that are private that you have to test to get into. So that in and of itself is a pressure cooker, right? Um, But then you go to other areas down in the South Bay here, we have a fabulous public school system. So I think it's geographically driven. I think it is definitely parent driven. I think it can be internally driven by a student. I think you can get a really type A, um, potentially, you know, I'm in Alaska's firstborn kiddos a lot of times are very type A. Mm-hmm. They're very hard on themselves, high expectations. Um, of course, not limited to being a firstborn child, but I'm just using it as, you know, general descriptor. So you can have that drive internally from a student as well. Um, and you can have it, externally peer-driven. So I think there are a lot of different angles where it comes from. I think it comes from um, looking at a a top-down approach. If you look at colleges and universities and the sheer increase in population in the last decade of kids who are applying to different schools. So I think it's a numbers game that also drives stress and pressure. So I think there are a lot of different angles that it comes from. But I also think that the amount of pressure that kids have now is so 
upsetting and scary. You know, when when we, you and I are around the same age, 30 years old, when we were trying to get into colleges or our, you know, my older sisters or our age group, it was just very different. It was like you applied to schools. Yeah, people wanted to go to good schools. My sister went to Georgetown. I wasn't smart enough. Mm-hmm. Shout out Lynchburg College. Go Hornets. Um, But it was just a different time, you know? And now with the combination of social media, which we can get into, I've read Mm -hmm. that the numbers of um, ADD, ADHD are at their peak right now. I want to know that that, that's something I read. So you can address that if you want to start there. Um. Okay, so it's interesting. So if you look at the population of school-aged children within the United States, right now we're defining about 5 to 8% of school-aged children are diagnosed with ADHD. Now, the neuroscience field truly believes that is an underdiagnosis, that that is a number on the low side, and there's probably a significant margin that are not being diagnosed. So let's take 10%. Let's just say it rounds out to be 10%. Um, so we're actually underdiagnosing. Why it feels like we are overdiagnosing or mm-hmm. saturated or it's at the peak is because of the awareness. I think we are at a different level of awareness nowadays about ADHD. I think it's become much more commonplace in the last 15 years now um, to speak about it, to have um, more literature on it to have more specialists in the area. You also have um, people who there's a breadth of people in the field now who are well equipped to do um, neuropsychal neuropsych testing where you know students can be diagnosed with it. Um, so I think that's why it feels like there are a lot more, but the actual picture is we are still underdiagnosing the amount of ADHD that exists in our school age children in our country. I was curious, though, because I was wondering if maybe the combination of um, social media and phones is escalating those numbers. And so that's that's an and I, I had no idea. It seemed yeah. really like a low number to me. So I think this this kind of comes up where is social media and our children on the screens all the time causing ADHD mm-hmm. is it is it a causality relationship or is there just a correlation okay and i think that the data now is pretty compelling that there's no causality it, it's really a correlation um there were a lot of articles that came out about a study that was done in 2018 and in 2018 there was um a study that was done with about 2500 students between the ages of 15 and 16 in the LA County area and what happened was um these students were tracked for like 18 to 24 months and asked to rate their level of what they felt their focus or lack of attention was in direct correlation to their phone usage or screen time. Mm-hmm. You know, this was written up in JAMA. You know, Harvard has written some articles about this particular study. And since it came out, they've actually been a lot of holes and inaccuracies in the study. Um, namely, they were really relying on these group of 15 and 16-year-olds to self-report every six months or so how they were doing with it or what they felt. And the reality is, you know, it's really hard for a 15 or 16 year old to accurately report even what they want to do for a summer break, you know, versus trying to get them to truly dive in and do a neuropsych evaluation on themselves about their attention. Yeah. 100%. Um, there were no clinicians really used in the study to check in with these students. They simply could write a checklist and, and self-describe and, and portray what they thought that their difficulties were with attention. So with the lack of clinicians really substantiating a lot of the claims um, and the fact that most of these students, in fact, I believe almost all of them were, none of them were checked for ADHD or diagnosed before going to the study. I think that the community now believes that that it's not an accurate description of screen time causing ADHD. Now, what the flip side is, is generally students who are 
struggling with ADHD. The idea between, behind ADHD is that students who have it or people in general um, choose to at, at times do endeavors that have a slightly less effort and require less focus. Um, it's part of what ADHD is. Mm-hmm. So instead of a student, let's say, going to go read in their room for 45 minutes because of the focus and attention that that requires, that they opt to spend more time on their screen. So it's like you have ADHD first because of some of the diagnosed symptoms that come with that. They choose to do certain pastimes, perhaps more often than others, but it's not the reverse causing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's an interesting point. And I'm very open with the fact that I was diagnosed with ADD in seventh grade. So I'm I'm just fascinated by talking about that. Um, and how it's just like a totally different space than it used to be. I also wanted to follow up with the last question that I kind of brought up about getting into schools now. So Mm -hmm. what does that look like? Um, I know that that the, the issues with suicide are the highest they've ever been really. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted to know, what your thoughts are about the pressures of school. We can get into the pressures of what sports do to kids and young kids, all of these pressures to match up to what the level of money that their parents are making, I think is just so unhealthy. And, and on a, on a totally separate topic, sometimes on social media, I am on, on Instagram often and I use that that platform to, to kind of spread awareness about suicide prevention, all the things that I'm really passionate about with mental health. It seems like on a daily basis, I am reading about new cases of people committing suicide and young people. And so I talk a lot about this. Um, so I wanted to get your thoughts on that. I'm sorry for the long-winded question. No, I mean, you're right on point right now. So, um, you know, I told you this right as we got on, Mm -hmm. I received a phone call 35 minutes ago and I happened to uh, pick it up. It it bypassed our phone system. So I just picked it up and it was from a potential client, a dad who was just sort of beside himself because he has um, two daughters, one of which is a junior in high school and struggling deeply with mental health issues and has been for the last three years. Um, And he desperately needs help with some tutoring and test prep and a support system to help her academically um, to take part of that burden off of her. Right. And that's, we can talk about that, how I do believe that my field can take the burden off and be a value add Mm -hmm. to that struggle as opposed to just another you know, thing to do or pressure. But the phone call that I fielded from him 35 minutes ago is common in what I talk about with parents so much of the time right now. Um, we, and I say we, because I feel like I'm part of this community of families and educators um, in, you know, the Los Angeles area. You know, one of our um, really uh, top high achieving schools in the area just suffered with the loss of two of their students um, via suicide within almost eight weeks, eight weeks Mm -hmm. of each other, two students took their lives. And it has been heart wrenching. Um, One of the deaths, actually, I have a very personal connection to, so it hit very close to home. So you're not wrong. I mean, I, I don't know the rates. I don't know the numbers. You would know that much better than I in sort of understanding what the rates are of suicide now, um, especially among young people. But I do it's know quadrupled in the past two years, something, something, it, I don't know, just, the, I don't know the exact like statistic or percentage, but I do yeah. know, um, that it's, that it's the worst it's literally ever been. Yeah. Well, and I think as you, you and I both know, I mean, COVID had a big part to do with that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so that we're, we're, I think we're dealing with unprecedented times right now, trying to recover from a global pandemic, which has also become a global mental health pandemic, in my mind, the crisis has now moved beyond, right, the actual inflammatory disease of COVID to a a mental health crisis. 
Um, I have a friend who is one of the deans at USC, and she and I have had several conversations about when I say to her, what is your most pressing concern with students entering into your university nowadays? And she will say, hands down, the mental well-being and mental health of our students. And we worry about suicide. We worry about depression and anxiety more than anything else. And that is just earth shattering to me, right? So we think about those are students going into undergrad and graduate, okay? So that's a graduate program concern as well. And I look at it now, like if you roll the clock back, right? And, and look at children on the much younger end of the spectrum, like ours, and especially even my youngest, right? Who's a kinder. What kinder stands for do? kindergarten, everyone. Just wanted you to know that. Go ahead, Kelly. <laughs> sorry. Um, sorry. My little kinder kiddo, um, kindergarten. She has what the cutest can... kids. Okay, go on. Sorry. <laughs> as do you, as do you, my dear. Um, you know, what can we do when they are younger to help take some of this pressure off of them? These kids don't need to be going to Harvard, just like, by the way, in sports, newsflash, I can't even tell you the small percentage of children who are going to make it to the big leagues, but these parents are spend you know, night and day and pressing their kids and pony baseball and volleyball and all this stuff. And I'm like, can I piggyback scholarships? on that? Can I piggyback on that? Because I know about that. And I actually, a good friend of mine and I, and I've talked to you about this before, a good friend of mine and I were walking the other day and we were talking about just this. So the percentage of, of kids that make it like, let's say college football. And I happen to have a nephew that plays college football for TCU and hopefully we'll go into the draft as long as he stays healthy. The percentage of kids that actually make it to that level is like zero point. Like, I don't even know what the percentage is. It's basically like becoming a famous actor or becoming a movie star, maybe a little bit higher than that, but it's very close. So the, the amount, if you live in an area like ours, or I'm assuming because you grew up in this area, I think in Brentwood, Beverly Hills, Bel Air, all of those high levels of, of socioeconomic levels, there there's these parents are putting all this pressure on their kids and to be like these, these athletes from a very young age, spending thousands and thousands of dollars a month where, and I don't mean to like take over your answer, but just where, why I don't really understand it. It's almost like me with my, one of my children wants to be an actress and my husband and I are like, please God, no but we want to support her. We want her to be able to do musical theater and we want her to do, be happy and do dance, but I'm not going to have my kid in like musical theater classes five days a week, um, spending thousands and thousands of dollars. I'll have her in like one, two, maybe three activities after school a week. That's it. Because I think the pressure that these parents are putting on their kids on sports alone or anything. It's just so much on these kids that they cannot come home at the end of the day and have to struggle with having to do homework or stress about school on top of it. So I'm a loud mouth takeover. <laughs> I mean, no, you're right. And let's, let's shift that whole idea to academics, right? Yeah. So let's shift that whole, because it's directly transferable. Mm-hmm. So in, I don't know, the first decade or so of my business, 10 to 15 years, I feel like supplement education was a lot about like getting ahead. It's the kids at these top schools and all of this tutoring and test prep and all this kind of stuff. And that was that same idea you're talking about, like driving, driving, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it has started to shift in the last decade, and especially the last five or six years, where instead of taking supplemental education and using it as this driving force to cause more anxiety and more stress... I'm a deep believer that supplemental education can be used to now relieve and release stress if used in a manageable, respectable, responsible way. And what I mean by that is I have had families say, we need, you know, 
15 hours a week of tutoring, 16 hours a week of tutoring, their kids are at top schools. I think if you were paying this price for 15 to 20 hours of tutoring per week, that school is not the right fit for your child. Because what is that doing, right? Driving your children into the ground even more. Now, on the flip side of that, I think that there are things that you can do with tutoring and test prep and relationship mentoring with a tutor that can also be life-saving to a student. For can example, you give an example? Thank you. You said for example. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about test prep. Okay, let's take that for number one. You get this crazy push as like a sophomore in high school and junior to get an SAT prep. You're prepping all the time, this push, push, push for this standardized exam, which is supposed to be this like gold standard to measure whether or not you're worthy of a school, which is nonsense. But, but you know, it's one admissions barometer used. The problem is a standardized test doesn't test the same things that school tests test in a child's brain for all those years. There is a real delineation between achievement-based testing and aptitude-based testing. When our kids are in school in third grade and they read a chapter in social studies or science, and at the end of that chapter, they have a chapter test, that is called an achievement test. It is trying to test the mastery of a specific concept and skill. Achievement tests master what you have learned in the past, okay? Aptitude testing is really about the taking all of what you've learned and applying it to like higher level um, critical thinking. It really tests your potential to learn new concepts, concepts you've never been introduced to. Now, what these standardized tests do at a young age, the STAR tests that our children just took, okay, mm-hmm. a week or two ago. Those tests are a mixture of achievement and aptitude. So it's, you know, does your child know their multiplication tables? Okay, if they know that, can they do this next level multi-step word problem that's maybe a grade or two up? Can they use all their information and use their critical sleep thinking skills to apply it up? Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D, designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft. Made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
that is a different brain muscle being used. That is not the traditional achievement-based learning per se. So you are putting these kids in standardized test taking, which all schools across the country do, private, public, no matter what state you're in, they do these statewide achievement tests. You're sitting your child down. The kids are sitting at the computer for the first time. They don't know, you know, do if I don't know it, do I skip it? Do I get marked off? Um, do it is the test what's called um, computer adaptive testing, meaning if I get one right, does the computer kick me up to a higher one or no? Is it just a steady level? There are all these nuances to standardized test taking that we are never teaching our kids to do at a young age. So we are throwing them into these situations with little to no prep. Schools don't really prep it a lot. Mm -hmm. They don't help them operate, you know, how to work the computer, giving ideas to skip problems, which ones to work more on, all of these little nuances, which help in aptitude, right? And then we're expecting them in 10th grade and 11th grade to be thrown to the wolves and study their tushes off with such veracity for six to nine to 12 months. And then they have this one test. So it's like your kids like playing around baseball, having fun, having fun. And then all of a sudden junior year, oh, you're going for tryouts in six months to see if you can get into college and get a scholarship. When all of these other years, you have these little ways to help a student become familiar with the format, practice time management, um, you know, plan for how do I work a test when I don't know how to, you know, do I do process of elimination? Do I guess? Do I skip it? Do I get stumped? How do I deal with the anxiety, nervousness, nervousness I feel in my tummy when I don't know a problem? There, those are skills that we aren't even teaching our children. And yet we're throwing them to try to figure it out in this one moment in time to get into college. Oh God. So it's so true too. It's such a good point. I, I mean, we really don't think about that because it's kind of like, well, we did it. So you go and do it. But I'm just telling you right now, I don't even know what I got on my SATs. I circled anything and I ran out of the room and I really don't care. I still went to college. I still, I, I, Thank God I've lasted all of these years. The amount of pressure that that puts on young brains, little kids, it's it's just it's it's too much. And I think what you're saying is that is interwoven with mental health, you know, and how we can maybe take the time out to give our kids that gift of the supplemental education, because it really is a gift. Right. It's, it's a, it's a total gift. So, yeah. you know, my third grader, we were talking about that, I guess a couple of weeks ago, they came home and they started taking those little time tests. Do you remember those time tests for multiplication tables? Oh God, I we took it. them in yeah. third and fourth grade. You yeah. have a minute. They're like minute tests. Sometimes mm -hmm. they're given two minutes. And, you know, we were just talking about it. He said, you know, mama, like, you know, timing makes me nervous. And I was like, you know what? Timing makes everybody nervous. But as an adult, you have to deal with time management with your boss. You know, when you're taking your driver's test, you have time management, you have a certain amount of time to like do it. Life is full of executive functioning time management skills. So you know what I did? I literally, I've got, of course, thousands of workbooks, right? I pulled out one of my times tables workbooks, you know, limited it to a, a doable amount of problems. I said, we're going to turn over this little hourglass. And in a minute, just do the best you can. See what you can do. See what it feels like. And he did it over and over, I don't know, five, six times. And then the next day we did a couple again. And all of a sudden at the end, he's like, oh, I got this, mama. Like, you know, I, I do the, the ones I know first. And, you know, sometimes eights are tricky for me. So I skip the ones with eights and then I come back. But had he not been given, and by the way, I consider that a version of test prep, Right just teaching him to not be afraid of time management and what that feels like. So when that feeling gets scary here, he kind of knows what to do now. And it allows him to rise above it, learn from it, move through it. And those little lessons along the way are essential because why are we leaving our kids until they are 13, 14, 15, 16, going through the teen years with the hormone development, the brain changes, and they go in, you know, even deeper sometimes into these areas of mental health concerns, depression, anxiety, stress. And then we're trying to rescue them too, which we should, of course, mm -hmm. 
but there are things that you can be doing along the way. And I think tutoring falls into that too. Like, you know, I think the the relationship that a student can have with a tutor who is not only a tutor, but a mentor in so many ways can be unprecedented and invaluable. It can be the relationship that they feel heard, they feel seen, they feel listened to, and they feel like an individual in a classroom with 25, 30, 30 plus students. You know, when you have a tutor whom you trust, it's not, I felt afraid to raise my hand in class. I didn't want to ask the teacher what she meant by that word. It's having that relationship where there's far less judgment, there's more support, and you have a champion. So I think that's a different way to look at how important supplemental education can be. And I think, I think, that, I think it's also so important, sorry to talk over you, like long term, no, yeah. what that does, what that can do for a, a child, you know, or an adult, you know, you'll look back on those things. I know that I look back on my life uh, as a, as a little girl, for example, and they didn't know what was Back then, they had no idea what ADD was. And to be honest, the only reason my mom tested me for ADD was because my dad had just died when I was in going into seventh grade. And I could not sit still. Like for me, I really, I was just a wreck. I could not sit still. I could not, I always struggled with uh, being able to, you know, keep track of time or the pressure. I remember like, tapping my feet. I couldn't, I just hated tests. I hated them and they made me feel stupid and I never liked feeling stupid. And then as an adult, no. And as an adult, and then I started doing untimed testing and Mm -hmm. I went to a boarding school and I went to a boarding school that specialized in, you know, people that were very right-brained like myself and creative. Everybody learns Mm -hmm. differently. Doesn't mean you're stupid. I tell my kids that all the time. Um, but I think long-term these things are so important to do as kids and at a young age, because then you you take them into high school, you take these habits into college. Yeah. And so I really think what you do is really, really important, especially now. And I don't think it well, matters what your grades are. If do you have kids that aren't struggling and they just are, you know, doing this because like, tell me that process, that part of it. Okay. So yeah, what I think is interesting is uh, I think we have to look at the stigma of tutoring and how it's changed over 25 years. Mm -hmm. So, or even longer, let's say, let's say 35 years. So there's, there was used to be a very old stigma that if you're being tutored, you're subpar as a student, you need help. You're dumb. Yeah. Right. So, so that's a little bit the generation probably you and I grew up in, right? Yeah. Like tutoring was this big hush, hush, chic if you're being tutored, right? Because mm-hmm. you weren't smart enough, whatever. Thank God that that whole idea has been put to bed and debunked and it's, you know, dead and gone. Um, I think as that changed, then I think tutoring shifted to be, you know, well, y- you know, I always said tutoring is for catch up, keep up or get ahead. And I think there are three angles that it can be. It can absolutely be to help students catch up who are who have fundamental gaps, who are struggling in certain areas. Absolutely. It can also keep students who are right sailing right along where they want to be. And it can be an outlet that gives them a different perspective for their educational journey, right? Feeling valued, seen, individualized, personalized, that connection. Um, and then you can also look at the students who want to get ahead. I think what is really critical to bring up in this, because I feel very strongly about it, is we have to remember that a majority of schools, public, private, of all sorts of socioeconomic demographics, really teach to the median student, okay? The median, not the mean. The mean is the average of all things, right? But the median is the middle. That is the middle student. With the middle come students who are at both tails of that curve and that sort of standard deviation of statistics, okay? They're kids on both ends. These students also need to be seen and heard and valued as well. So tutoring has a place for the catch up, the keep up, and the get ahead. Because if you have 
highly gifted students who aren't getting what they need. Let me tell you some of the mental health struggles that happen then. And we don't talk about it because we're like, oh, the highly gifted. No, there are some deep struggles on that end too. But we marginalize it and minimize it because, you know, that's where we think it's too elitist to say that. But there are students who deeply struggle on that end and on this end and in the center. So I think that there is a place all across the spectrum for the supplemental education world to step in. And what I hope moving forward in the landscape that we are in today, that we as company owners and experts in the field understand that our responsibility now is not just the for-profit world, but it's to really understand the mental health responsibility we have to children and young adults and young people all across that spectrum of need and in all different walks of life, in all different socioeconomic demographics. And I think the sooner we sort of take that on, that movement on, I think the more positive results we are going to see in our children and our young adults as they get older. And I think, you know, if the trend is large enough, we're going to hopefully, you know, push universities to see that too, and colleges and, and what that world looks like. You know, let's not I minimize think, anymore, yeah. like taking a gap year, right? Gap years for students who graduate high school, uh, but need next year to just live, get their head on straight. Were we to just, breathe, ta- to was I just out. talking to you about that? I must have been. Yeah, we were just, uh, just what was it, yesterday or two days ago? We, we had like mentioned a week it. Ago. I mean, it's how important a gap year is and how people, how other countries require it usually to do it because and normalize it and normalize it. I I wish I would have taken a gap year because I know my brain was not prepared. And I look back, I think I told you this, I look back on my college years and I have other friends. I I just say all the time, I was like, I didn't appreciate what I had. You know, it's kind of like as we age, we don't appreciate, you look at a picture of yourself from when you were 25 and in your head at that time, I remember being like, I actually took out a picture. I posted it. I put, didn't post it. I put it on my refrigerator the other day. And I was like, I'm really proud of this picture. I looked really good back then. <laughs> <laughs> and whereas when I remember taking the picture, I remember that exact day. I remember thinking how bad I looked and what I wouldn't give to go back then put myself into that body and walk around in a bathing suit with roller skates. It's the same kind <laughs> of thing, roller. right? Going to the grill. I would, I would just be like in a bathing suit on roller skates, like going everywhere because I didn't appreciate what I had. It's the same thing with your education and college. And my mom will like, if she's going to listen to this, not she's going to roll over when she hears this, but I didn't, I didn't want to go to school. I didn't, I wanted to become an actress. I didn't appreciate my education. I partied a lot and I was too immature. I I should have like traveled. I should have done something for a year. And I think it's so important for young people. And we even have this conversation with my oldest who's 13 because she is very, very smart, but I can already tell she puts so much pressure on herself. She's in seventh grade. She wants to be, go to Harvard, wherever she wants to go. She's putting that pressure on herself and we're not doing it. We're just basically like, go play volleyball in the driveway, you know, like get outside. So I I love what you said earlier about the type A first child. It is so common and I happen to have one. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's, I think that's really key. I mean, look, I've seen thousands of students like that over these decades. And one of the things that I think that a majority of our clients and parents would say was, you know, there's only so much as a parent that we, I mean, look, we have a lot of influence over our children, but sometimes they also don't want to listen to us, right? They want to listen to an outside voice and they don't want to always like hear us when we're, you know, saying just relax about it. Or on the other side of like, I know you can do more, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that, you know, the relationships that can be built to help guide and listen to and also be another sort of objective voice of wisdom is really important. If we say it takes a village to raise our children today and to raise raise healthy, happy children that become healthy, happy, you know, well-adjusted adults and individuals in society, 
you know, part of your part of our village can be tutors or mentors or champions or that that one teacher, you know, who just like believed in you. All of these things come together in balancing, I think, the mental health of our children and young people today. So I think you can't, you know, you can't separate them. I think it's all intertwined now. And I think especially after the last couple of years after COVID, we are seeing more and more of the need for the village to come together and really help support the emotional, spiritual, and mental well-being of our students in connectivity to their academic performance and success and achievements, you know, that they can be, there can be a beautiful marriage between it. I love, I love this. I want to ask you, so if you don't have the means, are there different levels like with what you do for people of all kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds? Are there things people can do? Yes. Parents? Yes, for sure. Look, I think that's key because I think that also, um, it it can be thought of spending money on supplemental education as you have that disposable income. And it's true. If you, you know, higher level disposable income, I understand you can afford for-profit companies like mine. Right. But, um, yes, I think there are areas across the board. Um, for example, in California in, I think it was September of 2012, Gavin Newsom, um, created a grant of like 250, $50 million that he was giving to upgrade the library system in the state of California. Now, through that library system, he has fostered a program called BrainFuse. And BrainFuse provides online free tutoring 24-7 to students in all areas and to young adults across the state in, you know, I know Spanish is covered. There's several different languages. It is all free tutoring and it's via the public library system in California. So you can locate and access those tutors either from any public library website or going to brainfuse.com. So any Californian can do that. I'm sure there are a multitude of other arenas similar in other states. Um, Boys and girls clubs offer tutoring. Um, most of the public schools all throughout the United States have different programs that they have for free tutoring after school. YMCA's offer different tutoring components as well, or, um, you know, even if it's just academic coaching, you know, whatever those needs are for students. Um, also, local colleges and universities across the United States offer potential tutoring opportunities because what is part of graduate school and undergrad programs, especially if you're in a teaching program, is those students have to give a certain amount and donate a certain amount of hours Mm -hmm. to, you know, gain their accreditation, right? So there's tutoring offered through there as well. So there are ways that a multitude of different socioeconomic demographics can have access to supplemental education in this country. I'm not saying it's easy or a dime a dozen. I understand sometimes it's, you know, trying to figure out the route to access, um, but, but it's there. And it should be there. And I say this too, just to piggyback on that. Um, when, when people don't have access to, to mental health, to a therapist, a lot of these colleges and universities, they have to get their hours and the yeah. students. And so you can get a lot of times th- free therapy that way. So that's important to piggyback on. You know what would be great, yeah. Kelly? I'm going to call you Kel. Um, <laughs> Absolutely, is, Meg, of course. Is, um, will you call me Meg, which I love. I do. I call you Meg all the time. Um, is, is if in my Pollyanna dreams, we could have meant free mental health for our students, you know, start them young, get them in therapy young, and then have the supplemental education on top of it. Like the things in our, in our country, don't get me started, but we need to put budgets in different places and stop, stop, stop worrying about drag performances and spending money on stopping drag queens and put the money into our, our kids. You know, I mean, this is just, it's, it's, it's not that hard. It shouldn't be that hard. It, it, well, first of all, it should not be that hard. You're absolutely right. We need to Again, you and I agree on so many of these yeah. things. We, we've, we've had our days of like chatting yeah. about it, but absolutely the mental health, the education. And by the way, 
education just isn't about getting into a traditional four-year college. Education is about bringing back trade schools, bring back mm-hmm. trade education. Okay. I mean, there, there's a multitude of ways to go with this. And it's just about realigning our goals and priorities as a country, as you know, a community, as a society, because I think we're in a really, I think we're a really critical turning point right now. And I think that we are not at the end of the road of seeing these tragedies and travesties happen and, and feeling the burden of what our young people are going through today. And it's just not the likes of what we saw growing up. So they deserve better. They deserve better. I mean, not that in a nutshell, it's not, it's really sad what our kids are, you know, going through and the things that they see and, and every generation has its problems. Right. But it just seems like everything for our kids is just overbearing and too much. And, um, and I just really appreciate you coming on and talking about these things because I think it's so important. And I think that people really need to think outside of the box and don't put so much pressure on ourselves, you know, as parents to have this perfect, there's no such thing as a perfect life. There's, it doesn't matter where your kid ends up going to school. I don't know one person, shout out Lynchburg College again. Um, I have very (laughs) successful friends that all have jobs and have had very good careers. And we all went to Lynchburg and we're fine. Also, Lynchburg was rated one of the top party schools in the United States. So it's also a fun school. But in all seriousness, you know, the, the pressure that people put on their, their themselves to have careers and do really well in this world when there's people that can't eat. Like our homeless issue is higher, is worse than it's ever been. We we just need to like take a step back. And these are ways, these are easy ways. Like the, the points that Kelly just pointed out about if you don't have the money to get the supplemental education and work with Kelly, reach out to a local university, a local Y. There's so many different options. It's not perfect, but at least it's a start. Can I ask you another question before we end? This is not a serious question. I know you're shocked by that. Why did they change math? Because I'm pissed about it because I barely understood old math and I can't even help Ella with math. I don't understand (laughs) it. She's in third grade, everyone. I know. Kelly, why? Look, uh, I know it it is a very complicated answer they're doing. We're referring to the everyday math program that our kids are taking. Um, that's a very, very long, it's almost like a whole okay, it podcast was a joke. in and of itself. Should I do a it's, podcast? About, Kelly will be back I, I next week to talk about why they changed math. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do uh, at pickup time, at pickup uh-huh. time, we're going to sit, I'm going to bring a math book and I, I I'm going to tutor you and okay. I will teach you how to teach Ella and help but her. But why do don't they carry the ones so anymore? Why did they do this to me? I can't I'm, help her. I'm sorry. We still carry the ones. Okay. My boys have I learned. Still we still do. carry the ones. Carry that's the just ones. the way it is. Yes. I, will, I will always carry the ones and that's just the way it is. I'm old school. Yeah. I, okay. yeah, it's okay. like, that not that I want to bring back the abacus. Okay. I don't need to be an abacus. I don't need to go that far back into math, but I'm carrying the one sister. I'm with you. I'm in alignment. Okay. Well, that makes me feel uh, better. Kelly, where can my listeners um, find you? How can they find you if they want to connect with you? So I think probably the best way is our website, which is www.generationthink.com. Um, you can get us through our info page um, and also kind of peruse what we do. Again, not necessarily to hire us, but to give you an idea of what you could ask for of other institutions, right? Until you know what to ask for, what to look for. Sometimes parents feel overwhelmed, but if they say, oh, you know, I see a math boot camp for fifth graders who don't understand fractions. Okay, I got to think about that. Maybe there's a fraction boot camp or workshop that I could ask for when I'm logging online to find the right tutor, you know, via the California library system. I think just knowing that, um, knowing what to ask for is key. And, and look, I know it's hard. It's hard for parents to stay on top of what their kids are doing at school. I understand that completely. We're all, you know, a lot of us are working and busy and you know, broken up 10 different ways. So I'm not pretending that that's an easy thing to stay completely engaged, but 
look, I think if, if some level of engagement means the difference between your child building confidence, feeling better about their ability, diminishing some of their anxiety and stress, it's worth us being engaged. Even if we don't always understand what the math is, at least, you know, okay, maybe I need to figure out a math tutor. I'm not saying you need it, but I'm saying. No, thank God, Ron is, my husband is smart. Like he's good with that stuff. Otherwise they'd be up the river with no paddle with me. Well, Um, I just, I feel like, you know, as a community now, I really believe in when you know better, you do better. mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we know now the connection and link between mental health and pressures, anxiety, fear, stress, academic pressure, et cetera, with our kids. We know better now. Let's do better. There's a connection there. Kelly, when I told you you're my smartest friend, I hope that the rest of my friends that are maybe listen to this are not offended. You really are my smartest friend. And oh um, and I always know I can count maybe. on you to, um, let me just tell a quick story because we have like a couple minutes. So am I allowed to talk about your seminar that you went to? <laughs> no. Sister? Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes, I'm like, up. okay. So- um, women, which by the way, have a, a very famous menopause doctor coming on in the next couple weeks, which I'm very excited about. She has a new book coming out, whatever. Her name is Heather Hirsch. So I'm just going to say that before I tell this story. So I was joke. I joke a lot. I, I would assume, you know, that if you listen to my podcast and, um, we were talking and, and joking. Cause as we age, like if you're in your thirties, we would be like, oh, where are we going this weekend? Oh, what club are we going to? Whatever. Where are we going to dinner? Nobody talks about vitamins. Nobody talks about squatty potties, fiber, D- vitamin D3. None of that. You just don't talk about it. It's weird. Then you get to a point where you're in your 40s and you're like, huh, what vitamins are you taking? Like, this is a conversation that like takes up a lot of time. And Kelly and I happen to pick up our kids after school in this group we call the FPUs, field pickup. And it's a bunch of moms that we like, and we're all friends. And one day we were ta- we were chatting about perimenopause and menopause. And I'm very passionate about this because people do not, do not, women are basically taught to have kids and then you're sent out to the pasture. And I'm, and I'm making it a point in my life to not be in my fifties with a perm and just old, like I'm going out with a kick and I know Kelly is too. And so Kelly was like, Oh, we're going to this menopause conference this weekend. I was like, what? That sounds like the best thing I have ever heard. Cause I think it's so important to educate yourself about your body and what you're as women, we will be going through at some point. It's really important. So then I said, Oh, I can't go. And I asked Kelly to tell me what happened. Like you asked somebody like, what, can you tell me a couple of things about it? She pretty much spilled out the entire conference for me. Um, I, I needed like a notebook. Nobody is smarter than Kelly. So if you ever have questions on anything, like not just about supplemental education, reach out to Kelly because she, I think she's secretly a doctor and she's not admitting it. And that's how I'm going to close this podcast. Do you have any and shout else? out to yes, ahead, shout Kelly. out to Naomi Watts. By the way, Naomi Watts has done an amazing job with her stripes company because she really is changing the picture and the face of perimenopause and menopause. So she was responsible for putting on this entire conference, and it was phenomenal, phenomenal. The best of the best doctors, the best of the best in their field, speaking to it and speaking about it, and it was it was wonderful. So I had to give you a full. You know, she she gave me the full rollout, like to the point where I was like, what did she just say? And I think she used the word prophylactic in that conversation as well. Everyone in closing, sure. thank you, Kelly, my smartest friend, Trotter King, for coming on. Um, I adore you. I love you to pieces. I think you're smart. I'm, I also think you're fabulous and always looking gorgeous. Um, in closing, everyone, thank you for supporting. Thank you for listening. Don't forget that you can subscribe to Patreon and get bonus episodes with myself uh, and my husband does the Patreon with me. So we talk about our 
we're we're always happy. We're hashtag blessed and joking. We usually fight on the episode. So you can subscribe there. You can also watch this episode on YouTube. And in closing, always remember, be happy by making other people happy. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks, Meg, for everything. Thank you. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.